Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello out there to all you Brooklyn folk. This is Sam Maxwell, and you are here with the Bedford and Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners, in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to bring on uh, on another podcast who's my co-conspirator. We, we haven't been on the uh, Bedford and Sullivan Podcast in a long time, but the Brooklyn Trolley blogger Mike LaColand has joined me plenty of times, and I welcome him back for the first 2019 Brooklyn Trolley Blogger edition of the Bedford and Sullivan Podcast. What's going on, my buddy? Hello, Sam. Hello, friends. Uh, glad to be back. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So, you know, we were alluding to the fact that you're kind of all over the place with your job in Brooklyn, and so we were wondering, where did it bring you today? Quite literally all over the borough, uh, and that's one of the things I love. I'm outside, I'm not trapped, and I really do get to experience uh, the whole borough from north to south, east to west. Uh, Today I was in Prospect Park. What better day? The weather was perfect, and uh, the surroundings were just marvelous. Yeah, I'm actually in rain right now upstate. I'm I'm feeding off of uh, the Barnwood Restaurant's Wi-Fi, I will admit. And uh, I have paid them, not necessarily directly for the Wi-Fi, but I, I ate there earlier today. I was sitting there watching the, the Mets pull a great victory, which we can, we can go into after talking a little bit about Brooklyn. But um, I'm, I'm surprised seeing all the rain down, downstate. It hasn't rained one bit today, has it? No, today over here, uh, in Brooklyn at least, uh, the day, like I said, was beautiful, uh, patchy skies. But uh, kept on warming up, and it's uh, mid 70s, I believe, right now after about a 50 degree start. But no, the weather has been spectacular here. It's clouding up a little bit now, but uh, it's still a still a day down here in the city. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I, you know, you forget how volatile it can get just going up a little bit into the mountains. But uh, it hasn't been too okay. bad, although it, it is currently raining. You know what? You speak of volatile uh, volatility. Uh, I'm close to the water where I am here in Bensonhurst, uh, and uh, I, I get weather sometimes the rest of the city doesn't get, and vice versa. So uh, I get some weird fluctuations right here off the bridge, uh, over here by what they right. call Graves and uh, Graves and Bay. Uh, so, you know, the other day I was broadcasting very briefly, albeit uh, from Ed. Bedford and Sullivan, the corner of Bedford and Sullivan, but it turned out that it was serendipitous as you were in another section of Brooklyn near some baseball history. You know what? Coincidence, man. I, I, I love life sometimes because while you were across the street from Evans Field, I happened to be at the former site of Eastern Park in East New York, home of the Dodgers in the 1890s. Uh, pure coincidence. And uh, I laughed about it all day. I was like, how do you, you, know, how do you like that? 
there you were visiting history, and there I was just, <laughs> you know, happened to be passing by history with with no intent really. <laughs> right, exactly. And you know, speaking of which, on our other podcast, shameless plug, uh, uh, Mike, Rich, and I have a podcast called A Metzine Podcast that keeps the audiences informed as to the doings of the New York Metropolitan Baseball Club. And we linked the episode number with either uh, both the uniform number as well as the year that it coincides with, if it does in fact coincide with the year, but we also go to the legacy of the National League in New York, uh, in New York City. And it's, I, I figured maybe we could also do a little bit about this because you're kind of a, a connoisseur of, of fashion, of uh, Brooklyn baseball history that goes all the way back. Your knowledge goes all the way back to the 1800s. So I is there it. anything uh, off the top of your head regarding, like, the 1883 season? The 1883 season? Yeah. Is that what and, you and I'm, I'm trying to find – yeah, I'm trying to find some, some interesting uh, – the 1883 season, you know, my my wife calls me the absent-minded professor, uh, and you know for good reason. <laughs> uh, so, but I believe the 1883 season, you know, I, I need to peruse through things very quickly, and it all comes back to me. I have so many things running through my head. Uh, again, she calls me the absent-minded professor, and I take that as a compliment. Uh, but I believe the 1883 season was the first year of the American Association, uh, thus the first actual World Series. Mhm. Okay. And and uh, I'm you know, looking that, it up that right now my, as well. That would be my first impression of 1883. They called it the uh, the beer and whiskey league. They did things that the mm. National League wouldn't, which would uh, entail playing on Sundays and selling alcoholic beverage at the games, uh, and, and things of that nature. Uh, you know, uh, the National League was still operating under. Let, let, let's keep it in context an old school, you know, book of rules at the time. And uh, mm-hmm. the American Association came along and really radicalized uh, much about the game. Uh, and and for the better, I think, you know, competition is always uh, a good thing. And what's interesting is the Philadelphia Athletics were the pennant winner of, of the uh, that year. And, and I'm trying to, to take a look. When you look at the MLB standings, um, you know, you have you have a, a list of 16 teams here. I think it's kind of all over the place. You do have the A, the the American Association, and the National League as well. But there was no Brooklyn team in the National League standings. Uh, but when I when I typed it in, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. That was all. That was it. Not yet. No, no. Uh, I, I was going to say. Yeah, I was going to say that the. Yeah, their genesis came from the American Association. Right, right. They were originally in the American Association, but it looks like the only reference to a Brooklyn team in 1883 was the Brooklyn Grays. Do you, does that ring a bell? Uh, the Brooklyn Grays, you know, they were uh, a here and there organization, didn't really do much, stick around long. Uh, and, no, that's one history I never really delved into, the name just uh, I've seen it, I read it, I cruised through it, but never really gave it much attention. Uh, I, I just picked up with the Brooklyn Dodgers and ran with that, you know. But uh, 
if you, if you were asking me about the uh, the Brooklyn Tip Tops, I might have a better answer for you from the Federal League. But the, <laughs> the Grays, no, not necessarily. And the Brooklyn Tip Tops were a few years later, the Federal League happening in the 1910s. But I'm just going to read the Wikipedia page real quick. 1883 Brooklyn Grays season. The Brooklyn Baseball Club was formed in 1883 by real estate magnate and baseball enthusiast Charles Byrne, who convinced his brother-in-law Joseph Doyle and casino operator Ferdinand Abel to start the team with him. Byrne set up a grandstand on Fifth Avenue and named Washington Park in honor of George Washington. The team played in the Minor Interstate Association of Professional Baseball Clubs. Doyle became the first manager of the team, which drew 6,000 fans to his first home, its first home game on May 12, 1883, against the Trenton team. This was actually the second game the club played in Brooklyn three days earlier with Washington Park not yet ready. The Grays beat Harrisburg 7-1 at the parade ground. It was the only professional match ever held at the ground with some 2,000 fans in attendance. The team won the league title after the Camden Merritt Club disbanded on July 20th and Brooklyn picked up some of its better players. The Grays were invited to join the American Association for the following season. So obviously, this being 1880, this being the 83, I'm sorry, the 83rd episode of the podcast, uh, we will not be necessarily going into the 1884 Brooklyn Grays, but it's it's very fascinating nonetheless. Well, you know, the ignorance is all mine because you know the Grays is just something I don't associate with the Dodgers. You go into the ownership of Byrne and, and, and them, uh, and that's a history I fully understand. I just don't apply that. Uh, or their names with the Grays at all. I, you know, I understand the genesis of the Dodgers, and that's why it perhaps slipped my mind. I just don't apply the two. Right. And, uh, the, uh, and I guess I'll quickly allude to the 1884 season. The New York Metropolitans lost the World Series 3 nothing to Providence of the NL. Mm-hmm. Correct. The Providence Grays, no less. <laughs> We're speaking about the Grays. It was the Providence Grays that won the championship in 84, right? It's it's funny the way all these names, you know, kind of there there were. It's like you couldn't have the same names, if you will. You couldn't have the Grays twice in a league. Uh, now, of course, you couldn't but, uh, have two teams with the same nickname. So for the last few years, I've been paying a lot of attention to the uh, pre-professional era, uh, going back to the 1850s uh, right through 1870s. Uh, because the professional game started in 1871, and I've just been delving into that prehistory, and I, I just find it fascinating, very fascinating, especially here in New York City, which was uh, the epicenter of it all. Right, exactly. And, and going to uh, a few decades later to the Brooklyn Tip Tops of the Federal League, which for those out there that may be ignorant to it, the Federal League, if I remember correctly, Mike, was organized uh, uh, by players who were dissatisfied with the way they were being treated in the major leagues. Is that correct? Uh, it's not the way I really oh, that, remember the, the history. This, that, that was the players, the players league. league, isn't it? That was the players, the players League, league I believe, of 1890, right? 1890 was the Players League. No, the Brooklyn Tip Tops basically was a bunch of capitalists who were pissed off that they couldn't get into the uh, National or American Leagues. You know, they had a monopoly on the game, the National and American Leagues, as that is. Uh, and, you know, it was uh, it was a closed circuit. They wouldn't let anybody in. So a bunch of rich guys, uh, to include the gentleman from Brooklyn who owned the Brooklyn Tip Top Bread Company, uh, he was the hmm. founder of the Tip Tops, hence the name. 
Uh, otherwise, they were, you know, uh, described in the papers as just the, the Brooklyn feds. Uh, you know, but a bunch of right. capitalists right, pointed in. So they said, you know what? Screw it. We're going to start our own league. Uh, and that's how we uh, – that's how Major League Baseball came into uh, the possession of Wrigley Field. That place was originally uh, built as Wiegum Park, uh, and it was built for the Federal League, for the Chicago uh, for the Chicago member of the Federal League. And uh, it was brought into the, the National League as Wrigley Field that we know today. Apologies for getting them mixed up, but it's nice that it, it reminds us of the Players League, and I'll get to that in a second, but I'll read a little bit of the Wikipedia. Brooklyn Chip Tops. The Brooklyn Tip-Tops were a team in the short-lived Federal League of Professional Baseball from 1914 to 1915. The team was named by owner Robert Ward, who owned the Tip-Top Bakery. They were sometimes uh, informally called the Brooklyn Feds or Brook Feds due to being the Brooklyn team of the Federal League. The Tip-Tops played in Old Washington Park, which the Brooklyn Dodgers had abandoned after the 1912 season to move to Ebbets Field. The team finished a disappointing fourth in 1914, Federal League officials believed it was important to have a successful franchise in the New York City area, and when the Indianapolis Hoosiers were transitioned to Newark, New Jersey, the Federal League, the quote-unquote Federal League Ty Cobb, as 1914 SL batting champ Benny Koff was known, was placed on the Brooklyn roster. In 1915, Koff led the league with a .342 batting average and 55 stolen bases, but the tip-tops still finished in seventh place. The Newark and Brooklyn Federal League teams played three holiday doubleheaders during the 1915 season, where one game was in Newark and the second was in Brooklyn. On September 19, 1914, tip-top Eddie Lafitte threw the only no-hitter in Federal League history, beating the Kansas City Packers 6-2. to Had the Federal League lasted just one more season, night baseball might have been introduced two decades earlier. The tip-tops had announced plans for the 1916 season to play some games at night. Wow, that would have I, – I, I don't know how that would have been uh, uh, possible, but at the same time, um, you know, anything was possible. It just took a while for the rest of the, league, rest of the baseball to catch on. Yeah, you know, and it was, it was just a fight. And in that first, the first year of their existence, uh, attendance was pretty on par with the other circuits. So it was a war. It was a war, but the more established mm-hmm. circuits won out. Uh, and, you know, of course, you know about the wall that still exists over on 3rd Avenue and 1st Street. On that on mm-hmm. that corner is, is the Con Edison lot. But the wall itself, and pictures prove that that's the original wall because of the parapets on top. Uh, the wall itself is a remnant of the Federal League Park that the Brooklyn Tip Tops played in. Not to be confused with the portion of Washington Park that the Dodgers played in. Uh, and you know what? I've mailed petition after petition a personal petition to Con Edison, seeing if they'll commission a mural for that wall that I'm sure I can get people to pitch in for, uh, and I'm just yet to hear from mm-hmm. them. Uh, I would love they, – they promised, you know, they were going to wreck it, and uh, baseball fans here in Brooklyn freaked out. So they promised to preserve the wall. Uh, it's just that I, see, I can't seem to get through to anybody uh, regarding the wall and, and, you know, how to treat it in a, in a historical – historically uh, representative fashion, you know what I mean? Even a plaque, something. Well, we might actually have a Brooklyn connection that, that we can discuss off off uh, off air in terms of Con Ed. So we'll we'll discuss that a little later that maybe we can we can try to connect the dots, if you will. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um 
interesting, we mentioned the Players League, and that was 1890. Brooklyn Wards Wonders. Do you do you yeah. know anything about these guys? Uh, I believe that uh, had to do with the same gentleman, Robert Ward of the Tip Tops. Uh, Robert Ward was a prominent name in baseball back in the day. Uh, he, he was even John a Montgomery Ward. Yeah, John Montgomery Ward, the the superstar shortstop of the Brooklyn Wards Wonders. The uh, team I'm finished sorry, with a 76-56. What, what was that? I'm sorry, I got the wrong person. Then I mis I misheard you. Then I thought we were still talking about Robert Ward. He was the uh, founder of the of the of the Feds. Uh, but you speak of Mr. Montgomery Ward. Yes, totally different player. Yes. Going all the way to the Players League, yeah, exactly. And yeah. They, they also played their they also played their home games at Eastern Park, by the way. Yes, uh, that was a uh, a fam- a fairly prominent person. Now you also realize that uh, one time Brooklyn Dodgers owner Chauncey, I forget his name, his name first name fails me at the moment, but before uh, Charlie Ebbets took. Uh, major majority control of the Dodgers. They were owned by Chauncey, and it was Chauncey who had all this real estate interest out in uh, Eastern Brooklyn, and he's the one who really instigated the move to Eastern Park, so he can promote his own real estate holdings. It wasn't until the Ebbets gained full—I uh, shouldn't say full control at that, but at least majority control—that uh, he instigated the move back to Washington Park in downtown Brooklyn, so to say. Hmm. And, and it, you know, to keep tangenting uh, to Washington Park, uh, it's still called Washington Park to this day, and and um, it has stayed as a city park. Was there ever anything else there uh, since it was the Dodgers' uh, spot, or or has it always been an empty plot of land that turned into a city park? I guess considering well, that the the um, the buildings right there with that George well, Washington we, was in during the Battle of Brooklyn. Exactly. Uh, you're talking about uh, a path and a battle site of the Battle of Brooklyn, Battle of Long Island, Revolutionary War. The old stone house in Washington, today's Washington Park, uh, was rebuilt, but they say it was rebuilt with the original materials of what once was George, George Washington's headquarters uh, before they headed down to Fulton's Landing and uh, escaped the island on boat. Uh, but the house, Old Stone House, also served for a brief time as the Dodgers Clubhouse. Hmm. Now, a beef I yeah, have with New York City, uh, a beef I have with yeah, New York City Department of Parks, they used to have a sign uh, on the fence surrounding Old Stone House saying, "Yeah, this goes back to George Washington, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera, and was also a former clubhouse of the Brooklyn Dodgers. That sign has since been removed, and speaking with a friend of mine uh, who retired but worked with New York City Department of Parks, he was like, man, the city is just not, in." with respect to Washington Park, the city is just not interested in promoting uh, the Dodgers' history. All they care about is George Washington. You know, um, I, I once saw a writer speaking at the uh, library uh, about, he wrote a book just about the the uh, the the exodus of um, the Dodgers and the 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 uh, Giants, and uh, he he had this great line. He said that in 
if if this were in Boston, they would make you pay fifty bucks just to look at it. And this yeah. stuff just sits there in Brooklyn. Yeah, I mean Pennsylvania. Uh, they put forth a, a tremendous effort with regards to historical uh, historical markers, and, and that's something that happens at the state level. Uh, I, I like to blame it on the city. I'm sure the city can do their own thing, you know. But markers that that's at the state level, and you know, I begrudge both entities, you know, the, the city and the state, uh, for not promoting uh, really the entire history of baseball. This is Brooklyn and Manhattan are the genesis of baseball. And if you want to throw Hoboken in there, by all means. But, I, mm-hmm. I you know, just a piss-poor job uh, of promoting the history of baseball where it all created. For for God's sake, you know, the game is, what, 150 years old, somewhere around, give or take, and, and it's just an American institution, and, and New York has the market cornered on it. And I, it's just ponderous, as I like to say. And I, I also will say that, that there's plenty of uh, allusion in Hoboken to the fact that baseball was, was played there. I, there. There's a spot, I believe it's 11th Street and Washington Street, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with Hoboken. But, I mean, now there's plenty of buildings that have clearly been there for a long time. But there is yeah. – uh, 11th Street has, has a, 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 you know, garden in the middle of the street. And right at the corner of 11th Street and Washington Street, right in the middle of the of the block, it says the first ever professional baseball game was played on this spot. And, and it's remarkable to think, you know, that they've they've they have done such a good job of uh, commemorating that spot. And now there's homes there. There's there's roads right. there. People drive through this area. You know, it's not, it, 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 you know, and I know that uh, with my namesake, obviously it's not, uh, we, you know, I, I think that I, I'd be a little bit more well off if, if we had any connection to the Maxwell House uh, brand. But my namesake, Maxwell House, I believe also uh, the, the factory was eventually built on top of this. Am I correct here? That, that is correct. Uh, that is the former site of the Maxwell House coffee shop. Or a factory, I should say. And if you read that market closely, it was paid for by the Hoboken Historical Society. How about that? Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, there's, there's things that certainly can be done. Uh, it's just that you know the 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 powers that be, I, I just find them very neglectful. Yeah, here it is. I'm I'm looking it up right now. Let's take a look at the photo. And that that, that game took place between the June Knickerbockers. That game took place between the New York Knickerbockers and I believe uh, the uh, the the Gothams, the New York Gothams. Well, let let I think you might be right, but let me read this to you real quick. Uh, on June nineteenth, eighteen forty-six, the first match game of baseball was played here on the Elysian Fields between the Knickerbockers and the New Yorks. That's all it says, Mike. It yeah, is generally conceded uh, that a, until this time the game was not seriously regarded. That's an allusion to the uh, to the Gotham's. They preceded the Knickerbockers, actually. The reason why they call this game the first match, uh, you know, baseball started out in social clubs, and they used to choose up sides and play intramurally. It wasn't until this game 
and the Knickerbockers. The Knickerbockers are the ones who instigated codifying the rules. So different regions like right. the north. Uh, the Northeast and the Maryland game and the, and the Pennsylvania game. This way they can all you know, go about playing according to the same rules. Uh, but the Gothams, you know, they don't get as much credit as the Knickerbockers because they didn't document anything. They didn't codify anything. They just kept it as uh, a recreation. It was the Knickerbockers who actually put it in pen, you know, pen to paper, and that's why they get credit. So the New Yorkers is an allusion to the Gothams who preceded the Knickerbockers. In fact, the Knickerbockers are populated uh, at least uh, by membership half that came from uh, the Gothams themselves. You know, I never really noticed it, but the entire uh, uh, intersection has a baseball as, as part of the the, um, the hexagonal stone street. Um, mm. And I don't know exactly where it is, but there's also apparently an allusion to uh, second base as a mark down on the uh, one of these. These um, oh. it's probably oh, one crap. of the Thanks. crosswalks here. Thanks for telling me. Now I'm gonna have to go back out there and seek it out. But opposite the the sign that you speak of, towards the water, uh, along the park along the waterfront, is another sign. I know that for sure that speaks of. Uh, uh, of the game too. It, it's um, yeah. I'm looking at the 1841 two, map right two, now. Yeah, there's two signs that I'm aware of. Uh, now that marker for second base or or the diagram of the infield. That's something I, I'd have to recheck. Now you're gonna make me go out there. Okay, man. We'll have to plan it for a, for a, a drive out there because that's where I start every single day is Hoboken. So I mean that you know what what that and I got to get out to Jersey City so I can get my own pictures of the Jackie Robinson statue. It's a little faded, but it's really magnificent. It's very big. Uh, I but but the colors are a little faded uh, for my my liking. Um, I will say it's that, that for all of you out there, uh, it's Journal Square is what he's referring to, and you, it's a pretty quick uh, journey from 33rd Street on the PATH train. The PATH train's pretty spectacular when it's operating properly. Uh, and, and by the way, Hoboken. By the way, Hoboken reminds me. In, by the aesthetically, way, yeah, go ahead. No, no, get it aesthetically. Pick up where you were. Oh, no, I was just going to say that aesthetically, uh, uh, Hoboken reminds me of both the West Village and plenty parts of Brooklyn. <laughs> it does, kind of. Uh, but I was, what I was going to say is I listened to your most recent podcast previous to this one uh, with the New York Giants Preservation Society, and now I need to get mm -hmm. out and go visit the Mon Monty Irvin statue. kidding me? Oh, yeah, over in Orange Park. That That is true. Yeah. It is pretty spectacular. I haven't been able to go out there yet myself, but when you look up the uh, – when you look it up on online, it's just it's, – it's really well done. It looks like <laughs> any statue you would find at, at a ballpark that, that's been, uh, you know, ordained. There's things like that. There's things like that that I uh, I believe with all my heart that can be done here within the city and, and even Brooklyn for itself. Brooklyn itself. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I will say though, I, I will say though, uh, the first monument ever erected uh, to the game of baseball lies in Brooklyn, and that would be a Greenwood Cemetery, and that's Jim Crane's uh, place of burial. Uh, that 
his, his headstone was paid for by uh, his teammates and people within the circuit that they played amongst. And uh, his his headstone is the first monument ever dedicated to baseball. It's been refurbished refurbished hmm. over the last couple of years. He passed away in 1862, baseball's first superstar. Uh, and as part of the refurbishment, they added a plaque uh, that states as such, baseball's first superstar, et cetera, et cetera. But at least Brooklyn can lay claim that it owns and houses the first monument dedicated ever to baseball. I'm trying to find it, but it, it's it's hard. You said Jim Crane? Jim Creighton, yes. C-R-E-I-G-H. Oh, yeah, Jim Creighton. Oh, Jim, right, of course, of course. There we Jim go. Standing. You know, he was a youngster. Oh, wow, pretty, died, pretty spectacular. Hey, he died at the young age, I believe, of 21 or 22. Uh, suffered an injury in within a game uh, and died very shortly thereafter, two or three days thereafter. Uh, some say, you know, uh, internal bleeding, uh, things of that nature. But there's also a myth that says he was previously heard playing cricket because cricket clubs were uh, in high fashion back then as well. And a lot of these guys used to go mm-hmm. back and forth. Uh, yeah, he passed away at the uh, at the young age of 21 or 22. I believe it was 21. And just think about it, that his his peers, his mates, people around the circuit, uh, thought that much of him to erect that headstone for him. Uh, and it's a it's a gorgeous headstone. Uh, just to think that they mm-hmm. thought that much of him, he must have indeed been uh, baseball. Two words. Uh, baseball's biggest star. Hmm. Yeah, it's it, it's uh, remarkable all the random spots that you can find baseball history. But you know, we we have to keep it alive, and and it it starts with talking about it on podcasts like this. Uh, for those uh, live listeners, we are going to be cut off in about twenty seconds. So we appreciate you joining us, and. and um, Mike, you know, we, we always go with last words. So uh, before we, we leave, for all those on the archives, we're going we're gonna to talk a little longer before uh, uh, we wrap this up. But I will, I will ask you, you know, to start with the, the last word, you know, before. We, we're, we're, we, we've, it's it's a, a full day of podcasts for you and me because we're going to be going on a shameless plug with uh, the Mets beat reporter for Newsday, Tim Healy later on on a Metsian podcast, but uh, when it comes to Brooklyn, what would be your last word? Uh, be better. Be better. Uh, Brooklyn's come a long way since I'm a kid, 70s and 80s, uh, and, and I mean that with respect to baseball. So much baseball history. Uh, I, I beg this borough, I, I beg the borough president like I did the last one, uh, do something about it. Do something to promote it. Uh, just fascinating history here that goes uh, unspoken of you know and you really have to dig deep and I don't think that should be the case again you know I road trip as much as I can uh, whether it's a, a low level minor league high level minor league another major league town everywhere I go I run into markers and statues and 
you know, by accident <laughs> that there's so many out right. there. And, you know, I'm not making this a Mets thing. I'm making this a city thing because it goes way uh, above and beyond the Mets and the Yankees or even the Dodgers and the Giants. It, it is the entirety and the genesis of baseball history. Why wouldn't you want to lay claim to that and promote it? They can create a whole industry. <laughs> I always thought this would, yeah. you know, the city, the city should be or house one of the greatest baseball museums in all the country. Uh, something to rival, you know, Cooperstown and the Negro League Museum in Kansas City. Something uh, up along those levels. Uh, I, I can't see why it's never been done. I can't understand why never no one's ever been inspired to do such a thing. So, you know, I'll only ask, be better. Well, you know, the more we uh, we keep working hard at it, maybe you and I are going to be the uh, the ones to 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 light the spark uh, uh, with with in regards to a uh, baseball museum in New York City. So, without further ado, Mike, uh, as always, I appreciate you joining me, and uh, let's go Brooklyn. The only way to finish it. <laughs> That's it. Thank you for having me on, and yeah, let's go Brooklyn. <laughs> Awesome, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you all for listening, and we'll catch you again on Bedford and Sullivan Podcast. Take care. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.